I have to tell you that uh, I feel inadequate to the task that I've been given. I feel weak. I feel incapable of delving into these treasures the way I would dream I could. As I looked at the various texts that make up what we will talk about this morning and meditate upon, I sensed that I was walking on holy ground. Because to talk about mercy is to talk about the King who is mercy. And though he was rich beyond all measure, he gave it all up to become a serving bondservant for us, his people, and for our redemption. So let's pray before we meditate before the throne. Our Father, Lord Christ, Holy Spirit, you said that wherever two or more are gathered, In your name, there you are in the midst. And we cry out to you this morning that you would come down into the midst of your people. You would reveal your person and your character to us. And that you would reform us, revive us, transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are through with wood and hay and stubble in our lives. And we pray that you would refine us this morning. And as we enter into your word and and meditate before your throne, we pray that you would come down into the midst of your people in power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of King Christ, we pray all these things. Amen. The momentum and the velocity of the Lord Christ's movement towards Calvary is building at a higher and higher pace. And you see it when Jesus is in the temple and he pronounces a series of woes Upon the teachers of the law, he calls them, and the Pharisees. Because outwardly, he says, it all looks great. But he looks on the heart. And so, in these woes or these proclamations of judgment, can you imagine his disciples being in that situation and the threatening nature of that experience where they are with people, surrounded by people who at any moment have the power and the authority to drag them to the ground. 
to condemn them on some trumped-up charge. So you can imagine the tension of that moment when he's proclaiming the woe. And then it says, he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have had you and surrounded you with my arms. You killed the prophets. You stone the ones who bring the word of life. And the tension's building. And then Jesus takes them out of the temple and they go to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus begins to teach them very directly about his coming again. And he gives a parable. We all know the parable. The parable of the virgins. And actually, every time I read this parable of the virgins and the oil, you know that parable. Honestly, every time I read it, and it happened again these last weeks, I can hardly hold myself back from saying, don't forget the oil. Take more oil with you. The tension that Jesus builds in that parable of what's happening and the momentum and the sense that, oh no, they're headed towards darkness. They're running out of oil. And yes, at the end of that parable, it starts, it stops in a very sudden way. And Jesus says, they run out of oil and they are shut out of the gates. And then he quickly turns to another parable, the parable of the talents. And this master, who's a very responsible master, brings the talents to these men. And he gives gives it to them, and he tells them to invest it, tells them to, to expand it, tells them to protect it, but not just that. And so some become tenfold stewards of talents. They explode those talents. I think of every one of the Oak Seed partners that we work with, they are tenfold people. They're unbelievable. And then some take it and expand to fivefold. And then you remember the one guy, he's got the talent. And he's the risk-averse guy. And he says, I protected the talent. I protected the talent. I didn't lose anything. I still have it. And just like the virgins in the previous parable, he's cast out. And then Jesus moves from a parable to the day of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, this has got to get your attention, right? If you're one of the disciples sitting before him, he's talking about the day of the coming of the Son of Man, the day when the heavens, as the old hymn says, will unroll like a scroll, where all the lives who had ever been on earth shall be brought before the throne of holy, holy, holy. And what is it that he says will happen on that day? He says there's going to be a separation on my right and on my left. And their ears have to perk up. He says those of you enter in 
to the kingdom that's been prepared for you since the foundations of the earth. For when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you quenched my thirst. When I had no clothing, I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you comforted me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When did we do this? They say, utterly humble and broken. When you did this to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now remember this, if you're a disciple on the Mount of Olives, he's describing things that are happening to his disciples in the future. He's saying that the least of these, my brethren, his brethren are going to be imprisoned. They are going to be stripped naked. They are going to be without food and without water. And so you see these disciples, can you imagine what they're thinking? Is that the reward? And we know that those disciples in the days to come will leave him except for a few, and they're mostly women, plus John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. They leave him. They deny him like Peter did. And yet with the transformation at Pentecost, these few people end up changing the whole world. There's a wonderful, wonderful verse in the book of Acts that says, these, Jason and his brethren, the charge that we bring about them in court is that they are turning the world upside down. In other words, Jason and his friends were turning the world right side up. So from 11 disciples who were faithless at the end, who were empowered by the Holy Spirit, who move out into the world fearlessly, the world is changed. And who is it that becomes the inventors, the creators of hospitals, literally, hospital? It is your brothers and sisters on whose shoulders you stand to peer into the kingdom of God. Who is it that took the children from under the bridges in Rome, in Milan, in Naples, in other cities in in the Roman Empire? Who was it that went in, took the infants who were abandoned, baptized them, loved them, adopted them? Who is it that brought, who invented the whole idea of taking care of abandoned children? It was your brothers and sisters who came from those 11 plus Paul the 12th. Who was it that invented schools for boys and girls? Who was it that lifted up the honor of women in the Greco-Roman world? It was our brothers and sisters 
who came from the 11 plus Paul, the 12th. You see, it was our brothers and sisters who transformed the whole idea of caring for people who had nothing, who had no hope in the world. One of the emperors, a mocker, even mocked the Christians in the early centuries by saying their churches are made up of criminals. Their churches are made up of prostitutes. Their churches are made up of abandoned children, of old people who should have died when they were left under the bridge. And our brothers and sisters begin to create entire new ways of looking at life because they understood that Jesus Christ was mercy itself. And that the work that he had done on the cross was so profound and so powerful and so life-changing and so reformational and so filled with revival of the heart and transformation of lives that they gave everything. A famine in 320 A.D., People are coming into the area in droves by the thousands. The authorities have no idea what to do. But the Christians begin to take alms gathering. They gather food. They give up a meal, two meals, three meals, and give it for those people. They create a city outside the city which is literally focused on caring for people who have absolutely nothing, utterly and completely in need, who cannot give anything back. And do you know what that place was finally called by the people? It's the new city. They changed the face of the world. Because they understood that Jesus was mercy itself. And then in the work, the propitiatory work that he had done on the cross, how much more could they want to give their lives to lift other people who had nothing? Who was it that created all of these institutions for the sick and dying It was our brothers and sisters. There was no framework for any of this in the Greco-Roman world, intellectually speaking. They had no capacity to do it. And emperors would look at the church and they'd say, like Julian, Emperor Julian, he'd say, our priests have got to get busy. They've got to begin to imitate these people. They've got to create all sorts of structures. They've got to create all sorts of institutions because they're making us look terrible. They're not only taking care of their own poor, they're taking care of our poor. They changed the face of the earth. They invented entirely new ways of looking at people with compassion and mercy because they were followers of the Lord mercy. Who is it that creates the universities? It's our brothers and sisters. The whole concept of a uni that there is uni, unity in the diversity of God's creation. 
in theology was called the queen of sciences. Who did that? Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because they saw that the Lord Christ was the Lord mercy. And they lived their lives outward, not inward. In the Micah passage, as it closes in that verse 8, it says that we are to do justice or act justly or act with equity in everything. Don't give favor to the wealthy. Treat every single person with dignity and care and personal mercy and love intelligently applied to do justice, not just to think justice, not just to think the right thoughts, but to do it in every single one of our activities, to live a life that is just, to live a life that asks the question, what is God calling me to do? What is God calling me to say? You see, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that this can only be done. If this is just human effort, it is absolutely hopeless, even if it goes well. Look, there is a lot of intelligence in this room. There's a lot of experience in this room. There's a lot of education in this room. We have trained ourselves in the world's thinking to the nth degree. Every one of us is capable of doing great things just on a human scale. But believe me, We do not want to live our lives on just wood and hay and stubble. If it is not empowered by the Holy Spirit, if it is not based on the third point there, walking humbly before the Lord, if it's not based on walking, moving with the Lord, walking humbly before the Lord, moving with him. Where's God moving? I want to move with him. What's God doing? I want to be there, right? Walk humbly before the Lord. Vicki and I at the Louvre uh, a few weeks ago, and we wanted to see Rembrandt. There aren't many Rembrandts at the Louvre. That was a letdown. I'm just going to express that. <laughs> wow. We were really let down about that. But we, we also wanted to see David, right? David paints paintings that are as big as this, you know. If you've been to the Louvre, you remember the coronation of Napoleon, Right? And you remember what happens in that. In the, it's, it's a scene that's stopped where the Pope is about to place the crown on Napoleon. And just as he's about to do it, Napoleon grabs the crown and crowns himself. He's not under anyone. He's a man, he's a man that Tom Wolfe calls in the bonfire of the vanities, he's a man in full. We all know men in full. Listen, I have been a man in full. Arrogant, full of hubris. It breaks my heart to think about that. But it's true. But Napoleon is a, he is a man in full. He's a man full of himself. I'm going to accomplish this great thing. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to defeat armies. I'm going to lead this country. I'm going to transform the people. Napoleon. I am Emperor Napoleon. Wood, hay, and stubble. 
All of us are through with that, aren't we? We want to be refined gold and silver, right? So we walk humbly. We move humbly with the Lord, depending on Him every millisecond of our lives, turning it over to Him, asking for His wisdom, asking Him to fill us with the Spirit. Vicki and I, on the way here this morning, we're listening to a tape. Now, some of you don't even know what a tape is. It just shocks me, but it's true. Let me tell you what a tape is. A tape was a thing that you used to put into a tape player. And this is a cassette player, not an eight mil, you know, not one of the eight-track tapes. Right? I'm talking about a cassette. Okay. You've read about those in the history books, haven't you? No, he has not. It's all gone from the history books. That's terrible. So we're listening to Dr. Francis Schaeffer give one of the classic sermons in his life. Vicki studied with Dr. Schaeffer, and we just love him, and it's God's work in God's way. God's work in God's way. We want to be involved in something, right, that's God's work, but it's done in God's way. Because that's the only thing that's really going to matter. It's the only thing that's really going to last. If it's full of the Holy Spirit, if it's led by the Holy Spirit, if it's driven by the Holy Spirit, if it's drawn by the Holy Spirit, if it's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what we want to be involved in, isn't it? To do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly along with God. Not just have a great feeling about mercy. The word is for mercy there is chesed. It's, it's one of three main words that are translated mercy sometimes. But chesed is the one in Hebrew that's used over and over again, 147 times just in the, uh, in the Psalms. I think 245 times in the Hebrew Testament. That's the one. And that one is often translated in these ways, loving kindness, eternal love, endless love, various English translations, and mercy, merciful, other forms of it, lovingness. So it's a key word. It's a key word. It's crucial. Because it has to do with the character of God. It's a covenantal term that links man and women, men and women, with God himself in relationship. And we know, from our perspective scripturally, that mercy is Jesus Christ. He's the king, mercy. Because he gave it all up. And because he gave it all up, we can give it our all in life for him. To do justice, to love mercy. When was the last time you fell in love with mercy? Not just had a good thought about it. Not just laid out all the elements of it. But when was the last time you fell in love with mercy? Because that's what we're talking about. Loving the Lord mercy. How is it that these wonderful partners that Ed and Donna Bradley discovered all around the world, in Mumbai, in Delhi, 
in, um, in Kerala State in the deep south of India, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in the Philippines, in Costa Rica, in El Salvador, and Cochabamba, Peru, Cochabamba, Bolivia. Cochabamba, one of my favorite words. Say that with me. Cochabamba. That is just music, isn't it? Cochabamba. In Cochabamba, or in Lima, Peru, or in the Philippines, Myanmar, Burma, China, Russia. Ed and Donna Bradley discovered these incredible veins of gold and silver out there of faith and mercy. People who day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, lay their lives at the foot of God's throne and ask for the Holy Spirit to guide them, fill them, direct them. There's a richness. There's a man in southern India, it's the deep south, and in the deep south they talk like this. They talk like that. They have an accent. And it's kind of like a southern accent, right? In the deep south, in the Kerala state, there's a man named Paul. And Paul, Paul Thomas, Paul Thomas is a fertilizer company employee. But in his heart, he's a man who wants to set people free from poverty based on the principles of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to set them free. Paul Thomas meets a man named Ed Bradley from McLean Presbyterian Church. He knows of him. Ed has looked into him. He trusts him theologically. He trusts him intellectually. He's created an organization which Ed has helped to frame in his mind and his heart called the Evangelical Social Action Forum, ESAF is the acronym. And Paul Thomas and his wife are talking to Ed Bradley, and they, Ed says, we should pray about this. Ed and Donna are praying about it. Friends are praying about it at MPC. And Ed Bradley gives Paul Thomas his first donation to allow him to leave the fertilizer company to launch ESAF, the Evangelical Social Action Forum. And since that day, today, from Paul Thomas and his wife, they are now have 1,200 employees. And in 19 years, they've created hundreds of thousands of small businesses. Micro-enterprises was the vision that Paul had. And they have, think of this, I met a woman in Kerala who was a Dalit. You know what a Dalit is in India? An untouchable. 30 years ago, she could not have done anything in India. Paul Thomas and his friends gathered around her. She came to know the Lord. She's from a Hindu background. They ask her, what is it that you enjoy doing? What's your passion? She says, cooking. Cooking. They help her start a business. She She now employs 25 people. And guess what she's doing? 
She's teaching them to be micro-enterprises. She's the mentor for these 25 women who are breaking the cycle of poverty by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel is the central heart of what Esaph is doing. In Costa Rica, I went to the baby house. The baby house started 20 years ago. The baby house takes children, infants, some of them six, seven years old who weigh 40 pounds or less, totally malnourished, dying right on the edge of death. And the baby house in El Salvador, in San Salvador, the capital, the baby house is the place where doctors, nurses, hospital administrators, the police, social workers know that they can send any baby that is about to die and they'll be loved and nurtured back to health. It's called Love Link, and the baby house is one of their ministries. So they're taking these sick children. I was sick, and you cared for me. They get nothing in return. And you should see the before and after pictures of what the Lord has done to thousands of babies through Love Link's baby house. Love Link also has an organization which is dedicated to taking formerly incarcerated men and presently incarcerated men who are out on leave during the day and teaching them a business outside El Salvador. I mean, outside San Salvador in in a smaller town. Now think of this for a moment. These guys are from the scariest gangs that we have in the United States, MS-13 and others. And some of these guys were leaders before they went to prison and then in prison and then they're led to the Lord. The organization of this Love Link ministry is called Met Amor, Spanish for love, Met Amor Fosis. Met Amor Fosis. The changing into a butterfly. And I went into this place and I was absolutely, I was brought to tears. Because here was a guy from the MS-13, and here was a guy who was a leader in a rival gang, and five years before this, they would have killed each other if they'd seen each other anywhere near their territory. And outside in the kingdom, they've given it all up. And they're learning a business of making shoes. And guess who they've partnered with? The largest shoe manufacturer in Central America because the CEO is a Christian and he met the Lovelink staff by chance. And they described his ministry. And now you have this wonderful picture of these guys having a business and they wanted me to brainstorm with them about how to turn this into a business that's owned by them. They're breaking the cycle of poverty, and they're breaking the hold of evil. I was in Bolivia in Cochabamba, and I was talking to these young girls in a protective house. These are 12, 13, 14-year-olds, lovely girls um, who are from the most horrific backgrounds that any of us can possibly imagine. And this one little girl I noticed uh, 
at the lunch that we they had for me, um, she held this little blue bear, this cute little, um, what are those called? Beanie babies. A little beanie baby. It was a little blue beanie baby. And she held it to her face like this. She was 13 years old. Her name was Maria. And she held it up to her. It's like a little baby. And she was very sweet. I could, I could just see it. And she was asking questions. She was very open. And after she left, I asked the staff, I said, why is Maria here? They said, because she was owned by a man and she was put into sex trafficking when she was 11. And later that afternoon, the 20th anniversary of Mosayan, this ministry partner of Oak Seed, had its anniversary, and there in the audience on the second row was little Maria, and she had her boob hair, always with her, the most valuable thing in her life, because they had almost nothing in their little in their little bungalows where they lived. Nothing. But she had this little blue bear. And so I spoke. And I introduced myself and I said, it's an honor to be with you. Princesses and princes of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I could barely get through my talk as I looked at all these little faces who've seen more horrible things than we can imagine in our worst nightmares. And afterwards, I went out into the little group, the audience, and Maria came up to me. And she went like this. I didn't know what to do. And the translator said, she wants to give you the bear. She wants to give you the blue bear. And at first I thought, I can't, I can't do that. I said to the translator, I, I can't take her bear. That's the most valuable thing. I haven't seen her without it all day. And I said, but I have to take the bear. It's the most merciful thing that she could do was to give me something so valuable. So I took the little bear in my hands like this, and I took her in my arms, and I hugged her, and I said, Muchisimas gracias, mi princesa de Dios. Thank you very much, my princess of God. Maria was able to give me that little bear, which I cherish. Because the Mosayan staff have shown her immense, endless mercy. Because that Mosayan staff worships and has fallen in love with mercy himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his great forgiveness and mercy in their lives, they have given themselves to live mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, we lay before you our lives, before your throne, and ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, we are through with wood and hay and stubble. We want to fall in love with you. 
mercy. We bless your holy name. Amen.